Welcome into the At the Yard podcast. On today's episode, Joe Oliveira of San Diego State will join me to talk all things Aztecs baseball. We'll talk a little bit about his baseball career and what losing the spring season has meant to him and to the Aztecs. All that and much more on episode 41 of the At the Yard podcast. Welcome back to the At The Yard Podcast. Really excited about today's guest. Joe Oliveira from San Diego State joins me to talk all things Aztecs baseball. Joe, pretty crazy time in our lives right now. How are you holding up? Uh, I know you guys are expecting your first child pretty soon, and it's got to be a little anxious moments for you, but how you how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. I appreciate you asking. You know, I, I think you should direct that question towards my wife. But, uh, you know, we're getting through it. Um, you know, honestly, looking at the positive of this whole thing is it's been a blessing for us just to be able to have this time to prepare. And it's going to be the last time in our lives where it's just us two together. So we're, we're enjoying that time together. And, um, you know, a little bit anxious with everything going on, having going to appointments in the hospital, but the, the doctors kind of reassured us everything. And so um, turning in just a, a lot of excitement at this point, um, you know, it's, it's been able to, you know, take my mind off kind of everything going on and, and, and focus on something really positive. Yeah, that, that's awesome. This this uh, virus has surely taken its toll on, on you know, everybody and everything. I mean, losing the season. Uh, you know that that's got to be pretty tough, and I mean, for a guy that's used to being on a baseball field this time of year, and seeing, so, I'm sure you're making the best of it. Yeah, it's funny you said that because I was just talking to my wife yesterday about it. I think this is the longest period in my entire life um, without being on a baseball field, and uh, feels a little bit weird. And you know, but I said the positive is it's the first time in a while that uh, I haven't had a hat tan line on my bald head so um you know that's that's it that's a good part of it yeah no doubt you get the you get the full tan now right yeah so, so, so joe you're, you're a san diego guy you, you you played your high school ball at university city high school uh, you know what was that experience like for you is that really where um you know kind of the you know the love for the game grew for you and and took off and and at what point did you start to think hey you know i might be able to play beyond high school baseball yeah, yeah, great question. Obviously, very lucky to grow up in, in this incredible city, and you know, it's not called America's finest city for for no reason. So, um, you know, that was a great experience. But yeah, my experience at UC was awesome. Um, my sophomore year, we had a a young, hard nosed, tough head coach, first time head coach came came in, um, uh, Jeff Dufek, uh, who you probably know is now the head coach at San Marcos High School, and so. Um, you know, he instilled, uh, you know, a lot of the attention to detail aspects that I, that I look for now in me. And, uh, you know, I think my style, his style matched up really well. So it was a great relationship. And, you know, in high school, I was actually a basketball first guy, you know, oddly enough. And so, you know, he battled me on that, you know, my entire high school career. And, you know, was always telling me my future wasn't baseball and, you know, me being the, the hard headed, stubborn high school kid that I was and didn't, didn't listen. And, you know, he finally kind of got through to me senior year is kind of when I really shifted gears and, and dove all in onto the baseball thing. So you after after UC and, and, and Dufek, I, I I mean I'm I've seen him coach plenty of games. I'm sure he, his style hasn't changed too much. So uh, after after high school, you head up to uh, Stockton and University of Pacific to play for uh, you know former big leaguer Ed Sprague. There, you're a four year letter winner, three time All Big West. Uh, recipient what was that experience like for you and and I, I know you 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 know came back for the fourth year there and you know what, what led to that and, and what was this all about for you yeah like I said I think I you know shifted gears really to my spring my senior year to just to focus just on baseball so you know my baseball recruiting window was really small and you know it was just kind of talking to a few schools and and I went up to visit UC Riverside, actually, and they were playing against Pacific. And I had a couple of buddies on the team and went over after the game to, to say hi to my buddies and just asked them to, to introduce me to their coach. And, um, you know, Steve Purse, who was the assistant coach at the time, comes over, walks, he walks up to me. And, you know, he must have known who I was because the first question he asked me if I, if I was the best catcher in San Diego. You know, me, the overconfident guy I was, I said, I said of course. And, and he was uh, at my game the next week. I think I was up on a visit the week after that. And, um, you know, really bonded with Coach Purse and, uh, you know, sit, sat in the in the office with Coach Sprague. And, 
you know, just felt really comfortable with him and it, it just felt like the right fit. And, it, you know, definitely turned out to be and you know, had nothing but a great experience there. Yeah, man, I, you know, just kind of doing some research here for the podcast, dude. I mean, you still, you're still ranked in the top 10 in a lot of categories there, man. Games played, at-bats, triples, which I found pretty interesting, uh, walks and, and, and total bases, man. I mean, that's that's got to be a nice little feather in your cap, right? I mean, to still be in, in the record books, right? Yeah, you know, Sprague, uh, I tricked him enough to put me in the leadoff spot every I had, you know, a ton of at-bats and, and – uh, Oddly enough, my my fourth year, I had labrum surgery, but my surgery was scheduled for a month into the season. So he let me DH for the first month of the season and pile up some at-bats. So I actually played in five seasons. And so, you know, that's why the at-bats thing is up there. And obviously, Ben leadoff, you know, lends itself to that. So, yeah, you know, all those guys a lot for that experience. And, um, you know, I'm very thankful for them. Yeah, absolutely. So after that, you're taken in the 15th round by the Orioles in, in 2010. Uh, you spent three years in their system. The one thing that I found really interesting is that, you know, I was talking to Brock Ungrick the other day about this, and it's about guys coming back to school to get their get their credentials. And you, know, you, you not only finished your degree, but you went back and got a teaching credential as well. And what was the motivation behind that? Yeah. So, you know, I graduated in four years from Pacific, but my fourth year is the year I registered and had surgery. So, you know, coming back that fifth year, I needed to start graduate school. And so, you know, I, I called Coach Purse, who was at UCLA by then, um, called Coach Dufek, you know, Sprague, uh, Don Barbara was now on the staff. So sat down with him and everybody told me, Hey, Joe, you're going to be a coach. You know, you, you need to, you know, look at, you know, what you want to get your master's in. And, um, you know, I decided on education and, and getting my teaching credentials. So my fifth year in the program there, I was in graduate school, um, got dra- drafted and then came back that first off season and finished my master's degree that December. So I went to my first spring training that next year with my master's degree. And, uh, I think at the time I was the only active professional player, with a master's degree and you know a media guy came up and told me that fact so definitely you know really proud of that yeah that, that's awesome and, and hearing those guys I'm, I'm glad you brought that up hearing those guys tell you hey joe you're going to be a coach had you thought about that before had you thought hey coaching might be in my future or was it really the motivation or, or the encouragement from from those other coaches around you to kind of hey maybe this is something i want to do yeah, yeah, definitely leaned on them for that. At that point, there was zero doubt in my mind that I was going to play in the big leagues for 20 years. So there, there wasn't really a whole whole plan B in place. And so, you know, getting hurt and, and having to come back and start grad school, you know, was the first time I really thought about anything different. And, you know, I was lucky to have those great mentors and people in my life that, you know, kind of, you know, made me head in that direction. And, um, you know, leaning on them for that advice was, was definitely huge for me. So you finished playing in, in 2012 um, with the Orioles organization. And, and in 2013, I mean, you're probably, what, 24, 25 at this time? How does a guy that age get a job managing in the Northwoods League? Yeah, it's uh, pretty for right place, right time for sure. Um, you know, I, I came home to, you know, I actually went, to, went out to spring training 2013. So I was in Florida all the way through March um, after spring training. You know, they tell me that they're going to put me on the phantom disabled list in double A. And, you know, I know what that means at that point is, uh, you know, here we're transitioning to you and, you know, it's something else. And, you know, they actually offered me a job to, to coach rookie ball out there. And, you know, but my heart was, was really in college baseball. So I wanted to come home and and really see that through and go all in on that route. And, you know, I just met with people everywhere. I, I went up to San Diego State. I bugged Eric Valenzuela until he met with me. Uh, I went up to USD and bugged Rich Hill until he met with me. I drove up to Irvine and met with Mike Gillespie. I drove up to Riverside and met with Doug Smith. I called everybody I possibly knew um, just to get advice. And, you know, the the ringing advice, you know, from everybody was you need to get some experience. And so, um, you know, I saw summer ball as an avenue for that. And um, there's a prominent pitching coach here in town named Don Johnson who gives lessons. And I used to catch bullpens in his backyard um, in the off season to get work in. And, you know, I, you know, I sat down with him and he goes, hey, you know, a guy who works for me named Brandon Higlin is going up to the Northwoods League to manage. I can get you an assistant job with him. And I'm like, let's go. I'm all in. So, you know, head up there. And a couple weeks into the year, uh, into the summer, Higgy gets the 
pitching coach job at Indiana. You know, after that, he went on to Arizona State. And now he's at New Mexico. So a couple weeks in, you know, they turned the, basically the keys over to me and, and named me the manager. And, yeah, you're right. I was 25 at the time. And some of the guys on the team were 21, 22. And um, definitely a valuable experience. I, yeah, I had players from all over the country from big-time programs. And I, I would sit down with a different player every day and ask them what they did in their college program because I know that's what I wanted to do and, and learn from them. I, had a couple, I remember a couple of guys from LSU I really learned a lot from just picking their brain on what Paul Maneri did with them and, um, you know, guys from Big 12 schools. And, you know, the whole summer I just spent gathering information and just, just so in case that opportunity came my way, I, I, I'd be as prepared as possible. Yeah, and that opportunity came that very next year, right, With when you joined San Diego State. What, how, how was that process, or what was that process? Was that basically picking up the phone and calling Eve Al again and saying, hey, man, you, you guys need to meet with me? Or what was that process like for you? <laughs> yeah, it probably annoyed a lot of people with the amount of time I was spending wearing them out. But, uh, you know, that whole summer I was out in Battle Creek, Michigan, I was I was calling people and I was doing Skype interviews for, for positions that opened up, obviously – I was already out there when the season ended. So, you know, in June, July is when the job openings come open. And so um, my first job offer was actually with, at USF with Nino Giratano. He offered me the volunteer job there and um, kind of sat on it for a couple of days. You know, just the financial aspect of away from home, living in San Francisco. I think the previous volunteer, who was Chris Hong, um, who I talked to for a while, was living in like the the clubhouse and the press box. <laughs> and so, you know, I was definitely prepared to do it, but it was a grind. And, you know, but I knew if I could get somehow get back to San Diego and live at home and it'd give me a better opportunity to be successful as a volunteer. And so um, actually the, the job offer that came and I actually accepted at first was Rich Hill offered me the ops job at USD. You know, Jay had just left, got the job at Reno. And, you know, he moved everybody up. And so the position that opened up was the ops job. And in the meantime, I was applying for teaching jobs. So I got a teaching job in Coronado, you know, running the PE job, you know, the program at a middle school there. And so Rich was going to allow me to, you know, teach PE and then show up in the afternoons and be the ops guy there. And so that's the route I thought I was going. And then all of a sudden, Eval got the job at St. Mary's. He took Vera Montes with him, and I get a call from Mark Martinez, you know, about their volunteer job, you know, at San Diego State. And, uh, you know, Wynn sat down with him and, and Tony, which was, you know, a surreal experience at the time. And Mark and I really bonded. You know, I think, you know, he really wanted to hire me, and, and but Tony had it in his mind. He wanted to hire a former Aztec, and, you know, which I understood if you wanted to do, but Mark convinced him that I was the guy and, you know, Tony called me and offered me the job and I accepted on the spot. And so I had to call my, the middle school principal and tell them I was resigning the, the salary and benefits position that, you know, hadn't even started yet to go take a volunteer job for no money. Um, and then I called, called Rich, Rich Hill at, at USD and, and told him I was, you know, leaning that way. And, and he was awesome. He's like, you got to get on the field. That's a great opportunity. I totally understand. And, um, you know, wish you the best of luck and, you know, see you across the field. And so, um, you know, headed over to San Diego state and, um, you know, got going, I was 25 and, um, just, just eager to, to get after it. Yeah. You, you mentioned Tony Gwynn there a little bit. And, and I mean, you grew up in San Diego, like I did. I, I mean, he's to this day, my favorite player of all time. And I'm sure you had at some point in your life, you know, had kind of a, uh, and idolized idolized him a little bit and what was that experience like i know you spent one year with him uh what was that experience like and and how much how much did you learn from him because you hear all the stories about him just being you know not only just the great hitter but just so bright in the game and and what was that experience like for you yeah, it was obviously incredible. Um, you know, he's he's a you know as good as he was as a player. He's a better human being, and you know, I think that more than anything, I really took from him is just seeing how he interacted with people every day. You know, he would show up, and sometimes sometimes we would park next to each other and get to walk into the office together, and he would say hi to the field field crew. He would say hi to the cleaning crew, and anybody who walked by, you know, he treated everybody as equals. And um, you know, just to see an actual Hall of Famer treat people like that has really stuck with me, and. 
um, you know, I, I don't think I got the full experience because he was really sick that year. And, you know, he, some days he would go to chemo in the morning and come to practice in the afternoon. But, you know, that just showed me how much he cared about our players. You know, everybody of course would understand if he had chemo that day, it's okay if you don't show up, you know, but he would still be there, still talk to the guys. And, um, you know, those days where he was feeling good, he would just light up the room with his, his laugh and his jokes and his banter. And, um, you know, it was just you hear his stories and, um, you know, his perspective on everything was just incredible and something I'll always carry with me. What, what a lesson on, on just commitment and, and determination, right? I mean, I couldn't fathom going and having chemo in the morning and then coming to the ballpark in the afternoon to coach up your guys. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just it just speaks volumes for the type of person he was, and you know how much he cared about our players. You know, he really did. I remember that first fall too. We had to, we had to cut, let a couple guys go, and and just to see how upset he was, like he was almost in tears before the meeting, thinking about letting a kid go. And you know, this I was like, man, he he really does genuinely care about each and every person. You know, he comes and you know gets in touch with, and um, he's just he's, he was a, he was an incredible person. And you know, Tony Gwynn Jr. is the same. Hey, you know, values passed down to his son and have him around the program. And um, you know, it's just awesome to to see the Gwynn legacy carry on. Yeah, absolutely. So let's fast forward a little bit. Mark Martinez uh, is hired as the head coach there uh, after Tony passes and. And you're elevated to recruiting coordinator, and, and you're also the hitting coach there for the Aztecs. And how do you how do you kind of separate the two? And then more importantly, how do you combine those two elements when it comes to, you know, being the hitting coach and then being the recruiting coordinator? Yeah, for sure. I think it's you know something that you know we all battle. But you know, first and foremost, our current players have to come first. You know, those are the guys that are in our program, you know, who we promised that we would develop and, you know, who we're going to win with. And so, you know, I try to, you know, map out everything around them and our practice time to make sure their, their development, they're cared for, they're taken care of first. And so obviously we're pretty lucky being in San Diego, such a talent hotbed where, you know, I'm able to be at practice. We don't, we don't miss too much practice throughout the year. Um, you know, the days we do, I might schedule like a, a hitting group or a catching group in the morning and go catch a game in the afternoon. Or, you know, if I'm gone on a Friday for the weekend, maybe I got all my groups in, you know, ahead of time before that. Um, you know, but first and foremost, we, we got to make sure we take care of the players in our program. You know, those are the guys that, that, you know, believed in us and chose to come to our program. And, um, you know, that, that's the philosophy that we have, you know, going with that. And you guys have had some some really good players come out of the program in your time there. And so how would you describe your your recruiting philosophy, you know, either personally or, you know, as as a program when, you know, if you're out looking at guys, you know, maybe what are some of the, the more important characteristics you're looking for or, you know, what's kind of the philosophy behind the recruiting? Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, you know, obviously we're trying to find the best players, the most talented players that, that fit our program. And, you know, that's the buzzword is fit. You know, it means a little bit, something a little bit different to everybody. Um, you know, we, we have the mindset, you know, I grew up here in San Diego with understanding the talent hotbed that's here. And, you know, we, we work inside out. I think we have to take care of our backyard first. Um, you know, I'll always you know, I'm a little bit biased towards San Diego guys. And, um, you know, those guys grew up, you know, a lot of times San Diego fans, you know, those guys grew up in the Kawhi Leonard era, watching them in the Sweet 16 and the football team, the 10 straight bowl games. There's a lot of true diehard San Diego State fans that grow up in this county. And so, you know, getting in those guys early um, and keeping them home is huge for us. Plus, they have that support system around them. And, you know, their parents can show up to inner squads in the fall. If they need to go home for a home-cooked meal. It just... You know, I think we get a little bit better player from that. And not to say we, we go out of, don't go out of the area. Obviously, we have to because we're not going to get every every guy in the county. But um, you know, we definitely you know take care of our backyard first, and then kind of branch out from there. And you know, the other philosophy we have is is don't take chances. You know, we're we're adding to our family. So if there's red flags, there's character issues, they're you know they're going to be magnified at some point when they're on campus. And you know, we we try to create a family environment, and we spend so much time together. So making sure their their character is is in place for what we're looking for and we're bringing in the right person who's you know going to make their teammates better our program better and you know ultimately those are the guys that we're going to win with you talked about the character and it being a good fit with recruiting getting younger and younger i mean we see you know kids in eighth grade now committing to d1 programs and 
how do you how do you evaluate that and, and how you know how cautious are you when it comes to that I mean with you know younger players uh, you know we're trying to make sure that hey this kid is the right fit but you know he might be a freshman or even a sophomore uh, you know how, how do you evaluate that? Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, you know, we're guilty of it. We do it. Um, but, you know, you know, for us, you know, when the, you know, we evaluate the talent is a, you know, we call them a no brainer, right? You know, we all say the guy is a no brainer, the talent's there. And then just evaluating the other pieces, all the, you know, all the boxes are checked and, um, we feel like he's the right kid and he's going to develop, um, you know, we'll, we'll go on kids early, but that will is communicating throughout their high school career, our early commits, I stay in touch with even more than guys I'm recruiting just to make sure they're developing, um, making sure they're coming around the program if they're able to, and understanding kind of what they're getting into and the work ethic expected once they get here to make sure that development is continuing throughout their high school career. And, um, you know, we're not we're not right 100 percent of the time, but we've been very lucky to to get some guys early where, you know, if we might have waited, you know, we might. You know, may not have got them or maybe gotten a bidding war with, with some other programs. And, um, you know, we've been lucky to, to hit on, you know, be right with some early guys who have, you know, come to our program and, and been freshman All-Americans and All-Americans and, and helped us win a lot of games. You know, it's funny you mentioned that bidding war. How difficult is it with just 11.7 scholarships to really parse that out, you know, amongst the two, three, four different classes and, you know, you're you're obviously constantly recruiting. And what are some of the biggest challenges when it comes to the the scholarship limitations? Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, you know, you wish you just had full rides to, to give everybody love, but um, you know, we we try not to get in a bidding war. We we try to place a value on somebody and, and speak to. Um, you know, but sometimes there's those kids that you love and, and, and really want that you'll go a little bit higher on, um, you know, if, it, if it's if it's there. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely challenging. You know, it's the reason why I'm probably bald is, is looking at our scholarship matrix every day and pulling my hair out, trying to figure out how to fit everybody and, um, you know, how to add to pieces that we need with what we have. And, and uh, you know, we're lucky we're in an extremely affordable school and, you know, we have a lot of financial aid resources where, you know, we can package some things together to make things, you know, comfortable for families. And so just getting creative with that and, um, you know, just, you know, building that relationship where, you know, if they do have to come a little bit out of pocket, um, you know, they're extremely comfortable making that investment because they know it's the right place for them. And um, you know, just, just getting the right kids that, that are bought in and, you know, in the scholarship piece is really just a way to get guys to campus. It's a tool to get them to, you know, show up and, and, and recruit them. And obviously you'd love to do as much as you can for everybody, but you know, with 11.7, we're not able to. And so, you know, I think we've, we've got a good little system and, and gotten creative with, with how to do that with families. Yeah. You know, you mentioned a couple of things there going back a couple of questions there. You talked about the fit and, and, and some of the characteristics and, you know, I've seen you out at games and, you know, we get there super early an hour, sometimes even, you know, more than an hour before a game. How much stock and, and weight do you put into the, the pregame, you know, visuals, I guess you can say from uh, your seeing of a player, right? I mean, you know, when he's, when he's warming up, when he's taking in and out, when he's kind of just hanging with his friends and how much, how much weight do you put into that? Yeah, we, I put a ton and, you know, we obviously we want kids that bring energy and passion every single day and, you know, guys that are great communicators and, and make their teammates better. And, um, you know, a lot of times you can't see that just during a game or during a showcase. It's, you know, before the game and, and up and you know when they're messing around in, in the dugout with their teammates and you know I want guys with, with personalities too, you know, get guys that, that bring some energy and, um, you know, for our and give feedback and you know the other reason to, to get get there early for games too is i love talking to the coaches you know i love getting there before anybody else big showcase and our big tournament there's going to be a lot of everybody's there you you don't get that one-on-one time to talk to the coach and and really break down each guy yeah, and how, uh, those those relationships are, are obviously critical. I mean, you know, that's one of the reasons I like to get there early is, is you know, you're talking to the coaches before the game. Maybe they, you know, tip you to a player that is, is doing really well. And and so th- those those relationships, I mean, how do you kind of, I, I won't say massage them, but how, how do you, 
you, you know, are you checking in with high school coaches regularly? Are you just kind of seeing them out at the field? Or, you know, if there's an interest in a player, you know, how, how do you go about maintaining and, and cultivating those relationships? Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, you know, I think it's it's caring about them as people and almost developing friendships. You know, if, if you're just calling a guy anytime you want something, you know, he's less likely to help you. And so, you know, I, I'll text guys, ask them how they're doing. I, I try to call two high school coaches a day when, you know, going into the office and coming home just to connect and, um, you know, to just showing that you care and you respect what they're doing. And, you know, there's some great coaches at the high school level. And, you know, and so maybe if that relationship and that foundation You know, I'll call, I'll call and text guys when I'm not even recruiting any of their guys, just just to talk and talk baseball and maybe bounce ideas off them, or you know, maybe it's even just to call someone they've played against as well and just um, you know get their perspective on things. Yeah, and then when it comes to the the club coaches and and you know, you obviously you have the travel ball coaches, you got your high school coaches, and in some cases it's the same person. Uh, you know, what do you do when you run into you know one guy is is really telling you this kid is is you know he's a no brainer. You know, while the other guy's telling you, well, there there might be some 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 doubts on this guy. How do you balance that? And then, you know, what what's your approach? And then, where do you go from there? Right? And you know, are you just kind of trusting your gut, or are you, you know, trying to dig deeper and, and get more information from from a, a even a third party, if you will? Yeah, for sure. I think you know, it actually happens all the time. You know, there's there's conflicting reports on kids, and so yeah, just just find someone else who's had contact with them, whether it's a a teammate or a parent or opposing coach. And, you know, the other thing is we really use our visits to, to get to know kids. So maybe that kid that I'm getting conflicted reports on, maybe we make his visit a little bit longer. You know, maybe I give him one-on-one -on -one time with, you know, each one or each person in our coaching staff and, you know, have him spend time with our players and then sit down with everybody after that the kids left and, and see all their opinions and the, the gut feel that they got. And, you know, and, you know, we're, we're evaluating their personalities as, as much as anything. And so, um, you know, getting face to face with them will, will often kind of tell you the truth and, you know, I trust our gut, you know, more than anybody else's, you know, that, like, that we may talk to. Uh, uh, the, the visits are obviously critical for, for you guys and, and, you know, for a player, uh, you know, what do you think the important elements of those on-campus visits are for players, right? Because, uh, you know, I can think about from my perspective, uh, you know, what might be the value of that. But from a player standpoint, what are some of the more important things that they'll get from a from an on-campus visit? Um, the, the relationships that that's the most important thing is, is, is the feeling they get and the vibe they get interacting with their coaching staff and talking to some players in the program. You know, we use our players, you know, every single visit, you know, our players are going to tell kids that they, they have no dog in the fight and they're going to tell them exactly how they're treated and their experience. And, and, you know, that's how guys are going to learn when they're on campus. You know, obviously seeing the facilities and, and that type of stuff is sweet. Um, but the facilities and all that stuff wears off pretty quick if the people aren't right. You know, if the people in place you're spending your time with aren't the right people you're supposed to be around. And so, you know, just interacting and um, being around it, seeing a practice, you know, meeting with an academic advisor, getting the whole breakdown on the academic structure and help that's in place to help the athletes. And you know, all that is, is huge and should go into making a decision. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that, that really, when you and I were talking a couple of years ago at the MLK camp there you guys run is, you know, you guys do those hitting camps and, and it's a great opportunity for you guys to get players on campus uh, to not only see the campus, but also continue to build those relationships, right? And then, you know, for you guys, mm -hmm. obviously, you know, there's the benefit there is you get to see and evaluate guys at your place. But how important has that been or has that become in your guys' overall recruiting process? Oh, it's huge, especially with the new rules now where you can't get guys on campus till their junior year. You know, obviously anybody can come to camp and sign up for camp. And, you know, it's the most awkward thing in the world saying, you know, I love you. I I. I want you to play for us. I think you're a stud, but I'm going to need you to pay to camp to come, you know, meet <laughs> us and hang out. But, you know, but, you know, we try to make it as cheap as we can to cover our costs and, you know, and, you know, get kids there. But, but, you know, we get to coach them, you know, during that setting and interact with them and we get to see how cultural, coachable they are. And, you know, they get to, you know, they're learning from us too. And if 
matches up what they're looking for and you know i remember offering a kid out of our hitting camp i think it was last fall the fall before just because i I gave him one simple adjustment and i think the next round he had it locked in and it was like man this kid can make adjustments and he listens to that quick this this is this could be the right fit you know we 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 vibe well and act well this is the kid i I want to coach for the next four years and so you know those settings are huge to just to learn from each other get to know the kids away from their parents away from their coaches you know get down in the cage and you know talk one-on-one and um you know th- those have been huge for our program you know, one of the guys that, that used to come to those camps who eventually committed to you guys keone Cavaco, who obviously signed with the, in the first round i mean w- what was he like you know in those settings and what do you what do you think you're going to miss the most about having an opportunity to coach him <laughs> yeah you're pouring salt on the wound right now man i wish we had that kid but yeah he uh yeah he grew up coming to our camps and i think it was his freshman year he was uh you know just pumping balls out with a wood bat and i'm like whoa okay wow. this, this guy's got some tools and um when i went out and saw him play in a game setting and um i was like okay let's go and he was actually a really easy one because his his dad's a retired military vet so he came to school for free so you know, we actually never had to give him a scholarship because he was getting school paid for anyway. And so it was really easy. Like, okay, hey, you're just come to school. You're go- you want to come here? And, you know, school's already paid for. Give it on the spot, hugged it out. Um, and uh, obviously he continued to develop and, and get better and fast twitch. And, um, you know, couldn't be happier for him and the family. Just, uh, you know, 13th overall, signed for over four months do and provide for his family for the rest of his life and you know he comes back you know around you know during the off season and you know works out our place i told him when he signed like hey you're always welcome here if you want to you know come back and hit in the cage and get in the weight room you know you're an aztec and you're always welcome that's awesome and that's gotta that's gotta i mean that's gotta feel good for not only for you for providing that opportunity but the visual for your current players right seeing that guy there working out you know still is still engaged with the program if you will even though he never stepped foot on campus as, a, as an aztec that's got to that's got to mm-hmm. bode very well for your current players right yeah for sure and it, it, there's actually a long history that in, you know at our place luckily you know in san diego there's a ton of big leaguers that that choose san diego as their off-season home and you know it stems back to when tony was there and just inviting everybody to our place so you know in january before spring training there could be you know in the morning there could be you know 15 to 25 minor leaguers and big leaguers you know taking bp and working out on our field before we practice you know adam jones who was signed to be an aztec is notorious for being out there every day adrian gonzalez you know who was signed to be an aztec is out there all the time and you know there's even guys from other college programs that we welcome and you know get out there it's just good for our players to be able to be around if they get class early or if they don't have class that day and they want to pop down there and you know, our, and the guys are great about interacting with our players and, um, you know, teaching them what they've learned at the professional level. Yeah, that's got to be a pretty neat feeling. So we, we, we kind of started the, the show with the cancellation of the spring season. And, you know, for you as, as a coach, uh, you know, what's been what's been the most challenging thing for you to deal with? Uh, you know, obviously with the cancellation of the season, I can only imagine, right, I mean, missing the season altogether. But, but more, more kind of specifically, what would have been some of the most challenging parts to deal with, whether it's, you know, organizing Zoom meetings or checking in on guys and setting schedules for that? But, you know, what, what have you seen uh, as some of the most challenging elements of the, the cancellation of the spring season? Yeah, that's a great question, Les. And, you know, the first thing my mind goes to is our players. You know, that's you know, the most challenging thing is, you know, getting them through this and, you know, getting them to wrap their brain about, around like kind of what's happened you know they've they've worked so hard and we, we really push our guys in the fall and they, they grind and they get through it um and so the work they put in every day you know to get to the season and to have a really promising start you know i can honestly say i thought we had a legitimate omaha caliber team this year and we've, we've beat some really good programs early and i think we were just trying to get our stride and get rolling and and kind of have a magical year i think everybody felt it we had the leadership in place the talent talent um you know the depth you know everything was there and all of a sudden it just comes to a halt and so just navigating them through all this and you know understanding and you know it will be okay and just trying to stay positive with them and um 
you know, just, you know, you know, just, and we really built for this year. And so they, you know, they busted their tails. And so understanding that, you know, we have a chance to reload, but, you know, getting through this is, is first and foremost. And, you know, what we preach to them, the school comes first, you know, you have nothing but time right now to knock out school. We should have 4.0s across the board, um, chance to, you know, change their bodies with some workouts and not have to worry about being sore the next day. And so, um, you know, I just, I just feel for them so, so much. And it's just, uh, you know, a terrible time and, you know, hopefully it's all over soon. Yeah, no doubt. You talked about, you know, you guys had the, the, a great mix of, of talent and leadership. How do you guys define leadership in your program? And, and what do you do to, to cultivate leaders within the program? Yeah. You know, I think ours is a little bit unique in, uh, you know, we're, we're very lucky to be in a military town and, you know, the military, you know, has the, the best group of leaders in the world, the best teams in the world, you know, these SEAL teams and our, our video coordinator is actually a 21 year Navy vet. He does our video. He's around our program every day. And so we've been lucky enough to take our guys to do Navy SEAL training every year. You know, we usually do it after winter break in January before we get going, um, and, you know, we've kind of adopted from them, uh, just, they call it boat crews. So we kind of adopted that. We call it, we have, we assign boat crews. And so what we do, instead of giving individual jobs to everybody, there's a group of jobs and a one boat crew is assigned to it. And so whoever steps up as the leader for that group is in charge of making sure all those jobs get done. And you get to see the leaders kind of come to the forefront, you know, of that. We have four boat crews, so you'll see four leaders. And if a job doesn't get done, you know, we'll step in and say, all right, next leader up, you know, you weren't getting the job done. And so, um, you know, it's been huge to kind of adopt that style and, and just to see the leaders kind of create themselves. So who steps up, who gets their boat crew to, you know, pull from the same side of the rope and head in the right direction and, and get the job done and get the task at hand um, done for their team. Uh, it's got to it's got to create awesome internal competition just within those groups, right? I can only imagine, you know, that what 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 some of the things that are being said between those two groups or between those four groups has got to be pretty funny at times. Yeah, it's awesome, and we, we actually have a whole chart, and you know, every aspect of their lives is 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 on that chart. They're held accountable for everything, for any red flag they get in the classroom, for you know, bad body language on the field, to you know, anything across the board. We keep tallies every single week, and uh, you know, this year the the leaders got to order some Nike ID shoes and, and wear them on the road trip. And so the team that won, you know, throughout the fall had some sweet Nike IDs to, to wear every road trip and everybody else had the regular ones that they got. So it was a little bit to compete for. Yeah, how, how do you, how do you balance the, the, how do you balance, you know, trying to cultivate leadership and then be with, you know, not doing too much, right? Like not, 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 bur- not putting the burden of leadership on, on a guy who, who maybe isn't naturally a leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, I don't think you can force leaders, you know, you know, everybody usually leans on the best players. They want, they want them to be leaders, but sometimes those guys just want to keep to themselves, lead by example and work. And, you know, the guys that are more vocal, um, will step up you can't force it. Um, you know, but we do have individual meetings with meetings with guys that we think, you know, have the character characteristics to be a leader and, you know, maybe present some situations and, and kind of guide them through it and coach them through it. Like, Hey, this is coming up. You know, I want you to step up. This is what I want you to say. This is the message I want you to do to the team and, you know, add your own twist to it, but, you know, just kind of build them up that way. But, you know, the, the system we kind of have is, you know, the leaders step up, they come to the forefront of those boat crews. And by the end of the fall, you, you, you clearly see who's taking taking charge and who's getting the job done. Yeah, that, that, that's awesome. And so you head into the spring, uh, you know, this is going to be a really, really unique situation when you guys get back, whether it's in the fall or in the spring, just from a, a sheer rostering standpoint, right, with what's been approved by the NCAA. And, you know, what do you think, how do you think that's going to impact the college game? And, and do you think it'll last for, you know, one, two, three years? Or are we going to see the, the effects of this rostering stuff for, you know, four, five, six, seven years down the road? Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, next year is is really affected, and, and I think the shortening of the draft. The draft that holds this. In your year. 
navigate through that. Um, so, you know, we, we communicate as a staff every day about different scenarios and what our roster is going to look like and um, kind of putting a standstill on the, the overall recruiting as a thing, um, as a whole. Um, but, you know, I was just thinking the other day, there's the, there's a possibility next year where we could lose three draft classes. We're going to have three, three draft classes on our team. So, you know, if we're bringing in the right guys, they're, they're pro prospects, they're developing the opportunity to be drafted, you know, we could lose everybody that had that extra year next year and be completely back to normal in, you know, the 2021 class going into the 2022 season. So, you know, until we really know more about what the draft is going to look like, you know, they're saying five to maybe 10 rounds this year and then 20 rounds after that. Um, you know, I think there's going to be a lot more talent on college campuses and it's going to filter down, you know, the D ones are going to get those draft picks to show up. That means they're recruiting less guys. So the levels below, I think JC ball is going to get a whole lot better. Just, you know, filtering down the, down the deal and, you know, guys that, um, you know, draft guys that maybe choose to go JC route instead of D one, uh, there's going to be some high end talent at all levels now. And I think it's going to make college baseball a whole lot better and a lot more competitive. Do you think this will lead to any changes within the college game? I mean, particularly, you know, potentially with the scholarships and then, you know, the third paid assistant. And do you think it'll lead to any changes, you know, those two or, or any others? Uh, you know, we hope so. Obviously, you know, that's that's been the hope for a long time. But, you know, everything I'm hearing is, is budget cuts galore. Just is, this is affecting so many people. It's looking like it might affect college football season, which is huge revenue. Affected our basketball team with March Madness. And so I think athletic departments are going to be looking to to cut budget wherever they can at this point. And hopefully they you know, are able to come back to fruition and, and revisit those topics. Um, you know, but but right now, I think those things are probably tabled and, and until they kind of get through all this. Yeah, you talked about draft talent a little bit ago, and, and Casey Schmidt obviously had just an, an awesome summer last summer, and and was really highly touted coming into the spring. And you know, what 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 sort of advice are you giving him, or are you guys as a staff giving him when it comes to you know the potential of you know either the draft or I mean potentially coming back. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, he's the tricky one. He's the the one guy on our team that will for sure go in the top five rounds. And so, you know, I still have to have that talk with his family, exactly what they're thinking. But, you know, I'm not going to stop any of our guys from from chasing their dream or reaching the big leagues. And, um, you know, I believe he's going to play in the big leagues, um, you know, whether he signs this year or decides to come back. But, you know, we're going to support him either way and, you know, be there for him. He's been so great for us the, the past three years that, you know, he's, he's a part of us. He's an Aztec. And, you know, whatever he chooses to do, we're going to support him and, and, and be there for him. He's a fairly quirky kid, isn't he? he? Just being around him at the MLK camp, I mean, he's kind of a he's kind of a goofy kid. But I mean, you see him on a field, and you would not expect that so, same sort of kind of personality off the field. Yeah, he's he's definitely a goofball. He keeps it loose and <laughs> jokes around with the guys, and um, you know, but he's he's a competitor, man. That guy, you know, when the moments are the biggest, he's at his best. You know, he was conference tournament MVP as a freshman. He was the Cape Finals MVP at two home runs in the Cape Championship game. Just, you know, when the heat's turned up and everybody else is feeling pressure, you know, that guy steps up. And, um, you know, between the lines, he's, he's definitely an animal. And, um, you know, off the field, he's, he's a great kid and, you know, enjoy to be around. Yeah, that, that's awesome. He's, he seems like a seems, – he, he seems to kind of be – uh, the the front man, right? Like he he's the lead singer of the band, if you will, when it comes to just you know from the outside looking in at your program. But I mean, a lot of the guys just from being again being around your group there at the camp there, it's just a really loose environment. And and one of the things that I take away is the interaction with not only the players and you, uh, but the the players and Mark. I mean, it's like you guys are all just a big group of buddies. It, it, it seems like. Yeah. I mean, and that starts at the top. Like you mentioned, Mark, coach Martinez is, is phenomenal with establishing that culture. And, um, you know, he calls it a tough love report approach. And that's exactly what it is, is, you know, he's kind of sets the standards, the expectations and, and holds them to them. And, and expectations are extremely high. It's attention to detail. And, you know, but as long as they're meeting those and, and working and getting after it, there's a, there's a lot of freedom and looseness besides that, you know, and, you know, we, we preach a family environment and, 
Um, you know, we want our guys to be themselves. That's how we're going to get the best version of themselves when they're on the field is they feel comfortable and they understand that everybody in that dugout has their back when they get in the box, they get on the mound. Um, you know, that those guys are their family. And, um, you know, we're really happy with where our culture is, but you, know, it's, you have to evolve, you have to develop it and you have to constantly work at it. You can't get complacent with it. And, um, you know, and, and it just, and also goes back to bringing in great kids who fit us and our style. And, you know, I think there's absolutely no, doubt of everybody in our clubhouse that this is where they're supposed to be and so that lends itself to to, to some freedom and some looseness and, and being themselves yeah joe and i'm sure you aspire to someday be a, a head coach on on the division one level and how do you how do you kind of take the lessons you've learned and you know mold them into what you think your style is going to be or, or what your present style is uh, you know, what, what sort of lessons have you taken from, you know, either Tony Gwynn or, or Ed Sprague or Coach Purse or, you know, Mark, uh, you know, and, and kind of mold those into the coach you want to be? Yeah, for sure. That's a, that's a phenomenal question. And, uh, you know, I've definitely been lucky to be around some great coaches and some great leaders around my life. You know, why we work so well is Mark and I really match up with, you know, kind of our vision and our values. And so I think that's why us together is a great fit. Um, you know, yeah, you know, I have to create my own and, you know, just learning from every little bit from everybody. And, um, you know, Mark has, you know, really instilled and had me work on is respond, don't react. You know, I'm a fiery competitive guy, but learning to take time to respond accordingly. Um, you know, I remember from Coach Purse told me when I first got into coaching is, is players don't care what you know until they know you care and so just getting down their level and showing that i do care and um you know i try to maintain a growth mindset and i read a ton of books and you know podcasts and um you know one that's really stuck with me is the culture code i don't know if you've read that it's just you know building safety with your players and sharing vulnerability with them and um you know really building that trust with them and um you know it's all about them you know, and you know just creating that that environment and um that that culture around them and you know i've a ton of learn and a ton to learn and hopefully i can keep growing in that mindset joe, joe you played you mentioned you were a basketball first guy pretty much up until your senior year and do you is that something that you seek out in recruiting or you know as guys that play multiple sports um you know do you do you put a little more weight into those guys that that are multi-sport guys uh, yeah, I, I don't know if we put more weight weight into it or incur, encourage it, but we definitely like it. You know, if guys do it, um, I'm, I'm not going to force a kid, hey, go play football, go play basketball. But, you know, if they do it, we, we love it. It, it gives you... It gives your arm a break. It gives you a little bit of a break from baseball. You learn other athletic movements. You know, you gain strength. You might learn it from other coaches, you know, work ethic. And I think it definitely helped me, you know, in my game playing playing basketball is, you know, with my footwork and my speed and, um, you know, athletic, overall athleticism. Um, I think there's a whole lot of benefits to it. And Coach Martinez loves it. If, if I tell him a guy plays football too, he goes, let's go. <laughs> I mean, likes likes that mentality and um you know it's definitely a bonus you know but not not something we you know necessarily will will make a decision on you know you know because of but you know it's it's definitely something we like yeah no doubt it's it seems to be you know a kind of a uh, it, they're becoming kind of like the uh, the dinosaurs right these guys that play a lot of sports you're getting specialization younger and younger and uh, you know what's your take mm -hmm. on that i mean because you, you have kids you know as, as young as Look, my, my son's going to turn seven, and, and there's kids on his team that are just you know baseball-only guys, and these guys are you know working mm -hmm. out every day on baseball only. And it's like, man, I mean, you know, my, I tell my son, go do everything you can and, you know, figure it out later. But it's like, what's your take on that? I mean, you're, you know, you're going to be a father soon. And, I mean, you, you talk about the specialization. I mean, as a college coach, do you, does it make you nervous a little bit when kids are, are specializing in one sport at such a young age? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, because, you, you know, y'all remember the league heroes that, you know, were superstars growing up that sort of peaked or, or got burned out and you kind of never heard it, you know, from them again, you know, as they got into the varsity level. So, you know, I would encourage every kid, play them all, you know, do whatever your buddies are doing, whatever you enjoy doing and just have fun playing. Um, you know, I think that's going to translate to the baseball field and it all work itself out. You'll end up playing the support, the sport that you're supposed to play. And, um, I think you'll be better off for it, playing them all. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that one, Joe. Uh, Joe, before I let you go, we, we got a little bit of a tradition here when we do interviews with coaches, and it's the podcast Rapid Fire. I'm going to ask you about oh, 10 to 12 questions here. First thing that comes to your mind, don't dwell on it, uh, and don't give me a both answer because <laughs> that, that won't qualify. Uh, well, maybe for one of them. All but right. uh, but uh, we, we got a, a couple of questions here. So you ready to roll? All right, let's do it, man. All right, here we go. Uh, small ball or gorilla ball? Oof. Gorilla ball with some small ball in there. <laughs> uh, hip Swing hop, the or, <laughs> exactly. Hip hop or country? You know what? I grew up a hip hop guy. You know, but my wife's been getting me into some country lately. But I'll, I'll go to I'll go. Hip hop. Go with the roots. All right, here we go. Costco or Sam's Club? Uh, Costco. Uh, college football or the NFL? College football away. Trackman or Rapsodo? We have Rapsodo, so I, I got a shout out to them. All righty. Uh, favorite vacation spot? Oof, I've been to some pretty sweet places. I would have to say the homeland, Portugal. Lagos, Portugal, but San Diego is a close second. Yeah. Mac or PC? Mac. Uh, best singer on the Aztecs team. Oh, best singer. Let's think. Jaden Fine. Best dancer on the Aztecs. Oh, we have some good dance-offs in the locker room after winning this good. I would say uh, Mikey Paredes. Mikey Paredes. All right. Favorite stadium you've ever been in? Uh, I'll have to say Petco. Number one park in the country, and it's right here. Nice. Go-to song to sing in the shower. Oh, man, I don't think I've ever sung in the shower. I'm a thinker, man. I just think in there. Sorry, I can't answer that one. <laughs> Favorite sports team? Got to go with my Padres, hometown team. Nice, nice. And, and, and just because you're a San Diego guy, Lolitas or Rigobertos? Oh, Lolitos. We just we just got one on campus and uh, vi- visited probably a little bit too frequently. No way. Dude. It's all, where on campus is it? Right on College, college Avenue, right as you jump. Oh, dude, I cannot Oh, man, I can't wait. I cannot wait to get back. Now I know where I'm eating during MLK camp, so that's awesome. There you go, man. Joe, really appreciate you coming on, man. This was, this was great, dude. I can't thank you enough for making some time for me and uh, just sharing your thoughts, man. I really, really appreciate it. No, Les, I should be thanking you, man. And I'll tell you, I was fired up when, when you reached out. And, you know, if there's one player, parent, or other coach that, that got something out of it, um, you know, it's definitely worth the time. So, you know, I appreciate you providing this platform to everybody during this difficult time. And, you know, I appreciate you being creative and, and doing this and, and reaching out, man. I'm, I'm truly honored. Awesome, Joe. Appreciate it. We'll talk real soon. You got it. I want to thank Joe Libera of San Diego State for joining me on the podcast today. Be sure to check out prepbaseballreport.com for all your news and information. And until next time, we'll see you at the yard.